Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, August 14th, 2020. I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. And I'm arts and culture writer Alicia Ramirez. Alicia, great to be back together again and to get everybody into the weekend, finally. I don't know about you, but this was one of my longer weeks, so I'm very glad to be there. Yeah, me too. Glad we're on the other side. Oh, yes, absolutely. We have a lot, lot, lot of ground to cover today to do that, though, so I want to get into it right away. Before we do, I first have to send you over to Patreon at patreon.com slash broadwayradio or broadwayradio.com slash Patreon to back us if you haven't already and are able to do so. All right, Alicia, I want to start with the latest in COVID-19 related news, beginning with a new study that came out this week about the hit artists are taking during the pandemic. Lost Art, colon, measuring COVID-19's devastating impact on America's creative economy, a report released by the Brookings Institution, saw that between April 1st through July 31st, an estimated 2.7 million creative Americans were fired and more than $150 billion in sales of goods and services for creative industries nationwide were lost representing almost a third of all jobs in those industries and 9% of annual sales. This includes people working in film, advertising, musicians, artists, performers, and designers. The fine and performing arts industry shed about half of all jobs and more than a quarter of all sales nationwide based on creative industry analysis. This is also divided by geographic regions of the U.S. According to the report, the South is expected to be hardest hit in both, uh, both in terms of the creative industries and creative occupations, followed by the West and the Northeast, respectively, while the West and the Northeast will lose the most sales revenues for the creative industries, which makes sense, especially when we consider New York alone, as we've talked about many times, just how much Broadway alone brings to the state's economy. On that note, 80% of total estimated losses in sales and 68% of all estimated job losses in the creative industries across the U.S. will impact metropolitan areas with populations over 1 million people. New York and Los Angeles will be the most damaged by absolute losses. Alicia, not surprising numbers, but difficult numbers nonetheless. And coming off the news on Thursday that the Senate has adjourned until September without coming up with a new plan for further coronavirus relief funding to individuals. Frustrating doesn't even begin to cover it. We've talked, oh, for sure. yeah, we've talked nearly every day about this at this point because nothing seems to change. And to see studies like this come out, it really just amplifies it all. Mm-hmm. Now, across the pond, I believe last time we were on the show together, we briefly talked about Fleabag co-stars Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Olivia Coleman starting up the Theater Community Fund to help theater industry freelancers in need during the pandemic. On we th- sure did. Yeah. On Thursday, Amazon announced it would be donating £500,000 to the fund, which is a little over $653,400. This is in addition to £1 million that they will be donating to a new COVID-19 response fund established by the UK's film and TV charity aimed at those worse affected by the production shutdowns as shoots get back underway. 
That fund, which wants to raise 3.2 million pounds, will provide out-of-work freelancers with grants up to 4,500 pounds. That collective $2 million, translated, is part of a pledge to donate $6 million to production companies across Europe. Amazon Studios says that it is committed to continuing to donate as production gears up in the UK and Europe. But, you know, if I think about Jeff Bezos' net worth and Amazon's valuation and the size of these donations, respectively, I will probably explode into angry dust, Alicia. <laughs> so, oh gosh, yeah, me too. Yeah, moving on. I want to cover some news on two shows, one in the US and one in the UK that have begun production. First up, as of today, August 14th, the Regent's Park's open-air theater production of Jesus Christ Superstar, colon, the concert, will start performances. And after reducing capacity to nearly 70%, the team behind the show has found a way to welcome more theatergoers by relaying the show to a giant screen on the venue's lawn for select performances. The show is currently scheduled to run today through September 27th. Screened performances will be on August 29th through the 30th. Says the venue's executive director, William Village, quote, The live relay will help us attempt to make this revival economically viable. But, he continues, innovative add-ons such as these are not a panacea for the industry. Now back to the U.S., where, as we've mentioned before, in Massachusetts, Barrington Stage Company and Berkshire Theatre Group have started up their respective productions of Harry Clark and Godspell. Since performances began earlier this month, Harry Clark actually wraps up this weekend, but Godspell will continue until September 4th. They have already had to make some changes, Alicia. At Barrington, Harry Clark, which started as a socially distanced indoor production, has had to move outdoors, not really surprising, <laughs> and mm -hmm. Godspell has had to reduce its capacity from 100 to 50 people as per a new outdoor mass gathering state mandate. Says Barrington Artistic Director Julian Boyd, quote, of course, we'd like to have more than 50 patrons, but the important thing is that we are giving artists work. We're not only here to please the audience, but the performers as well. To see them happy to be learning music, to be in a theater again in rehearsal is so exciting. It makes it all worthwhile to see the artist working and reaching an audience, albeit a smaller audience than we would like. I'm really interested, Alicia, to see what the next month is going to play out like for the Godspell production, as well as what the run of Jesus Christ Superstar is going to look like. The outdoor concert with the screenings remind me a lot of what Lincoln Center and the Met do by having their summer mm -hmm. screenings of certain oh, yeah. shows. Though here, you know, there's still some kind of live element, which is interesting. I feel like as far as New York goes, when we start talking about eventual performances, that might be the next probable step to have outdoor shows with that kind of extended screening for certain performances. But one, there's X months of the year you can't do that because of weather. So uh -huh. will it be financially viable? And two, <laughs> there's still clearly a lot this country has to figure out in terms of social distancing and protection. All right, Alicia, let's run through some news in brief because there are a couple of recommendations I want to talk with you today about cool. instead a little bit more. Let's dive in. 
Okay. <laughs> yes, let's do it. First up on Thursday, Deadline announced that Leah Volick Productions, the Broadway production company behind the upcoming musical MJ and the stage adaptation of Almost Famous, has hired the Old Globe Theater's Travis Lamont Ballinger as producer to help oversee both high-profile projects. Ballinger has worked with MJ book writer Lynn Nottage in the past, including as an associate producer for Market Road Films, which Nottage co-founded. As we already know, MJ is scheduled to begin preview performances at Broadway's Neil Simon Theater on March 8th, 2021, with an opening night of April 15th. Production details for the eventual planned Broadway run of Almost Famous have not yet been announced. Three performing arts organizations named their upcoming season plans yesterday. First up, La Mama has announced its 2020-21 season, dubbing it the Breaking It Open season, and it will focus on the creation of new works across the digital and theater landscape with a lineup of artist residents who will receive grants, time, space, and resources to create pieces and develop initiatives. That list will include Philip Glass, Shauna Davis, Muriel Bors-Torrent, Jerome Ellis, and more. In addition to the creation of new works, the residencies aim to experiment with audience configurations, live streaming capabilities, rethinking theater spaces as broadcast studios, and more. Individual projects will include Yoshika Chuma's Love Story, colon, School of Hard Knocks, Glass's Days and Nights Festival, and Bobby Jean Smith's Revisiting Lost Mountain. Over at Theater Works Silicon Valley, the regional venue has announced a new season lineup spanning March 2021 through May 2022. God, that seems so far off, even though it's not. I know. Most of the titles for this 51st season will be pulled from the organization's originally announced 2020-21 roster and will include Hershey Felder as Monsieur Chopin, Having Our Set A colon The Delany Sisters' First 100 Years, Nan and the Lower Body, Gem on the Ocean, a radio play version of It's a Wonderful Life, Sense and Sensibility, Queen, and a revival of Ragtime. And finally, the New York City Opera has announced two productions, the world premiere of Ricky Ian Gordon and Michael Corey's The Garden of the Finzi Contini's in a staged concert presentation of Anthony Davis's recent Pulitzer-winning The Central Park Five. There's no word yet on what practices will be implemented to ensure public safety during the performances, nor are there official dates yet. Two more news items, Alicia. The National Comedy Center in Jamestown, New York, which will be holding its Lucille Ball Comedy Festival virtual this year, has announced its diverse lineup of artists, including several Broadway stars. The festival will be streamed over three weekends throughout August, starting today, Friday, August 14th, and will feature conversations and stars including Lin-Manuel Miranda, Louis Black, A.D. Bryant, Margaret Cho, Kate Flannery, Judy Gold, Penn Gillette, and more. The virtual festival will also recognize founding National Comedy Center Advisory Board member and comedy legend the late, great Carl Reiner. All programs will be available free online via live stream at the National Comedy Central's online platform at ComedyCentral.org. 
or comedycentral.org. I'm promoting the wrong network, as well as via <laughs> Facebook Live on the National Comedy Center's Facebook page. I'm legally obligated to mention this because other than my love for most of these people, Jamestown is my hometown. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, for, so first of all, represent. And also, it is unbelievably weird that there is something as important there now as the National Comedy Center, because it was built like four years ago. It was not there when I grew up. <laughs> yeah, good to know. This is an absolutely exceptional cast, and yeah, I may be biased, but you got to support my fellow Puerto Rican, Le Manuel. Of course, so, of course. So I'll definitely be watching <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. Finally in the news and more virtual performance news, the lineup has been announced for Broadway for Racial Justice's Amplified Concert on August 21st. Haley Kilgore, Soleil Pfeiffer, Shoshana Bean, Jesse Mueller, Skylar Aston, and more will perform with Patina Miller and Brandon Michael Nays hosting. The event, which will spotlight up-and-coming artists within the theater industry, will stream at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. And while free to watch, donations to the Broadway for Racial Justice Emergency Assistance Fund, which will be launching on September 1st, are encouraged. Great lineup, great cause. I will certainly be watching that as well. All right, Alicia, I've got, as I already mentioned, a couple recommendations for the weekend. One actually came out on Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. I think it might have been Wednesday, Wednesday via the, yeah, via the website, The Undefeated from the great writer Soraya Nadia McDonald. This is an absolutely essential read. Have it with your morning coffee, tea, breakfast, whatever. It's entitled How to Get More Black on Broadway. What will it take to put more plays by people of color on the great white way? Truly the big question of the year, as we all know. Mm-hmm. In the piece, McDonald breaks down theater shortcomings, to put it mildly, as far as its systemic racism and conversations spurred by the recent Black Lives Matter protests and breaks down the repairs the industry needs into four areas. The art that's produced, the leadership that determines what gets produced, the de- developmental process, and the audience itself. For the story, she talks to slave play playwright Jeremy O'Harris, the movement theater company's David Mendizabal. Mendizabal. Thank you. Thank you. That's, you're welcome. Uh, I'm glad you're here because I'm very white. <laughs> our, our dear dead drug lord director, Whitney White, Dominique Mariso, and Jacob Padron of The Soul Project. This is really the first piece I, and I think generally any of us have seen that goes in so thoroughly on the failings of American theater. From the shows that get noticed and those that don't, such as uh, Danya R. Loves 1 and 2, which I've talked about many times on the show so far, that got so much less noticed than The Inheritance, the fact that you see the glass menagerie like a hundred times per any season that's produced more than James Baldwin's Amen Corner ever has been. And just, you know, overall, the stories that we see that are quote unquote black shows are about suffering or if they're musicals, they're jukebox musicals as opposed to shows that are about black and brown joy. 
Then, of course, we start to dive in about what happens behind the scene and off the stage, including the overwhelming white critic base, the white gay shows are seen and promoted in. We talked about it when it happened, but the New York Post was immediate to dismiss slave play as not selling tickets, and then the show went on to extend its run anyway. So the title of this almost feels rhetorical at this point, Alicia. How do we get more black on Broadway? What will it take and does it require, as Harris says, to start all over? And I think I've been, <laughs> I've been very honest that I, I actually hope so. I hope we can start over and do the work. I think so, too. You have to start from scratch, as I was discussing with Matt a couple of weeks ago. Um mm. Black and brown people are not only on stage, but behind the scenes as producers, press agents, critics, marketers, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And we just we need to hire more black and brown people to work in order to make this possible, because you can read so many statements acknowledging the need for change, but I am very skeptical. Is the work actually there? Yeah, exactly. I'm very skeptical. I am not going to believe anything from anyone until I see (laughs) some action, because as a writer of color, it is incredibly frustrating to see this unfold right before my eyes. Oh, I have no doubt about that. And yeah, as you said, it's, it's, Every organization, especially at the very, very height of the Black Lives Matter protests and the conversation about racism in theater, which should still be going on with the fervor that it started, but we have a very short attention span to begin with. Mm -hmm. But at the height of everything, every company was putting out statements saying we need to do better. And the question is always not, okay, when, but how? How are you going to exactly. do Exactly. And, and I have to applaud the Baltimore Center stage for being the first theater to respond to We See You White yeah. American Theater's anti-racist demands. They have an exhaustive list of demands, mm-hmm. and I'm so happy that somebody is stepping up to the plate and taking action Yeah, absolutely. Matt and I had talked a little bit about that on the show the other day, and Absolutely second what you have to say. It's good to see any theater company step up. Yeah, why why is taking everybody else so long? <laughs> that's that's the question. I think we know why, and it's the makeup of the leadership. Mm-hmm. But the other reading recommendation I have is tangential to that, and it's from Wani Zhang at Marie Claire in a virtual roundtable with Brittany Johnson, who was the first black actress to play Glinda and Wicked. Alexia Kadim, the only black actress to play Elphaba full-time in any production of Wicked, and the Book of Mormon and Broadway Blacks, Kim Exum, about what it's like to be black on Broadway. Between this and the McDonald piece, clearly the answer is not good. And mm-hmm. this, But this is another absolutely necessary read with these talented w- women. Please add that to your morning pile as well. Yeah, definitely. And if, if I could just chime in. Yes, please. I I found this roundtable to be so powerful because the industry encourages people to remain close-minded. And they do so by denying people of color the opportunity to play three-dimensional roles full-time. And not that it's bad to be a standby or an understudy on Broadway, but I can sense frustration from 
the people I follow on social media who are Broadway t- artists. And they should not only be invited to audition, they should be hired full time, not just as understudies or standbys. Yeah, unfortunately, we talk about that a lot. And I mean, the most recent one I would say before the shutdown was The Music Man. And seeing you have this cast of six white people taking the principal roles when it's The Music Man, you can cast anybody in those roles. Exactly. And it doesn't matter. But it, it will, it doesn't matter to white people if they're cast. It will matter to people of color if they're put in these iconic roles that they should have been getting all along. Yeah, and Come to think of it, progress is not linear because in a lot of these situations, you take one step forward and and then two steps back. Think of Cinderella back in 2013. They cast Kiki Palmer as Cinderella and then they went back to having all white leads. Right. That's their way of saying, well, we we did it. Now we don't have to do it again for another Mm -hmm. hundred years, but that's just not (laughs) going to stand anymore. It's ridiculous and it's insulting. Yep. Now, I believe you have a recommendation before I get into my final recommendation of the day. I do. My pick is Anthony Trammell's new single, Stop, out today. I love him. Yes, I do too. And I listened to this during the Hamilton Press Junket, and I'm so excited that everybody is going to get to listen to this empowering song finally mm. and the video is so compelling and so beautiful so check it out if you can definitely absolutely one more final recommendation it's also another kind of recording over at playbill they have the first li- listen of the premiere studio cast recording of michael friedman's tw- 2006 musical i am nobody's lunch which will be released august 14th by ghostlight records again today ghostlight records and the civilians so when you're done listening to it at playbill go over uh give playbill the hits go over and stream the full album wherever you stream albums the great mary testa sings this track which is titled the song of progressive disenchantment joining her on the album will be rebecca naomi jones adam chandler barat nick blameyer and more as i've talked about several times and we'll do many more as i've covered the michael friedman recording project a lot now michael friedman's music is always a balm for the soul for me and so is anthony ramos's music so be sure to check that out check his out check everything out check out both those articles <laughs> Uh, read them thoroughly because we will be continuing this conversation as often as we can. The link to all of those and everything else, of course, will be in today's show notes. All right, that is all for today and for the week. So thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And if you are willing, able, and so inclined, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at no, this is Ashley. Alicia, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter and Instagram at a Ramirez Gar 31. Excellent. All right. Be sure to tune in on Sunday to This Week on Broadway with, I assume, James, Peter, and Michael. I don't 
think they have a special guest this week. I haven't heard anything, but it's always a good episode regardless. Either way, have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe, wear a mask, and we'll be back to talk with you on Monday. (laughs) 